Hi, my name is Amifa. I'm a theater critic from Thailand. So I'll start with a bit of history, some context, some numbers and figures. On May 2014, um, there was a coup in Thailand, and that was obviously not our first coup. We have no fewer than 20 uh, attempted and successful military coups since uh, 1932 in Thailand. That's when uh, Thailand changed from absolute monarchy to constitutional monarchy. And um, May 2014 was the second one in less than 10 years. One before that was 2006. And this one, of course, is the more um, oppressive one. I'll, I'll talk more about that as well. And uh, it lasted much longer than the 2006 one. Not much longer, but longer. In March 2019, so March this year, we had a general election. And you know, with a new constitution, um, we Obviously, freedom will be a lot more restricted. Senators will be mostly chosen by um, members of the military and all of that. And <laughs> just of today, we still do not have a government. And it will look more or less uh, like, um, because the military leader might become the prime minister again, because he ran for um, premiership as well. And of course, the military also forms their own um, um, polit political party. So. So we'll be under the military for a very, very, very long time, it looks like. Even though, you know, we have, a, there's a facade of uh, democracy. Um, so according to World Press Freedom, Freedom Index, in between 2014 and 2019, we rank at about between 135 and 142 out of 180 countries. And it, it's considered in the red zone, which means um, press are operating under very difficult, um, under difficult situation. The worst is in the black zone, like countries like China, Cambodia, I'm not sure Cambodia, but China, um, Myanmar, and all that, those are in the black zone. So we're a bit luckier, but still it's relatively difficult. So this, when um, this coup, um, this, this past junta government, is that um, when they came to power, this was the most, like I said before, this is the more repressive regime than the one in 2006. TV stations were suspended. Um, some TV shows were canceled or eventually they stopped because it became so difficult to have any kind of program that are critical of the government or critical of anything. Um, I mean, and Gauta, uh, my colleague, she worked for a station that faced, um, you know, constant suspensions. Um, so you can talk to her more about that. Journalists were called in and were detained. Some mostly political journalists were called in and detained for quote unquote attitude adjustments. They drew up more severe draconian cybersecurity laws, um, blocking websites such as websites that publish photos that are deemed insulting to the monarchy, like the Daily Mail. Not great journalism, but you know, it's still there were a few websites that were blocked um, that we could not access for a while. Um, I think people in Thailand have the most Facebook accounts in the world. I think it was threatened, uh, you know, to be blocked as well. Of course, there were a few court cases that were tried. Civilians were tried in military courts as well. So this is the most repressive for people, let's say, of my generation, for example. We have to talk about, of course, Article 112 of, um, in Thailand, which is the Les Majeste Law. What's unique about the Les Majeste Law is that it's been a law for a very long time, but it's just been in recent years where it's been weaponized by military, by citizens, and by um, politicians to destroy political dissents or just simply people they don't like. What's unique is that anyone can file charges, can file complaint. 
with any defamation laws in Thailand, the burden of proof is on the accused and not on the accuser, like in a lot of countries where if you accuse someone, you were the one who have to prove that they you know, defame you or defame someone. Whereas here, if you're accused of less majeste, you're the one who have to prove that you didn't do it. And <laughs> um, it was very much weaponized by the junta. Um, numbers of writers, academics, and activists were forced to flee the country. And um, since the junta came into power, if you're accused of it, um, you're de facto guilty. So there's, you know, a bit of a show of um, due process of a, uh, of a trial, but lawyers will just advise their clients to confess to the crime to get some reduced sentence. You can get up to 15 years in jail. And this affected, when it comes to the arts, um, I mean, surprisingly affected the theater more than anyone because this was in 2013. This group of very young theater activists, they are called Prakai Fai Troop. They usually perform in these political rallies in rural villages. They actually kind of split up already, and they came back for this performance to commemorate the 40th anniversary of the 1973 Thamsat University student massacres. And um, the thing was, they also broadcast it live online, so it wasn't just contained in a theater. So some ultra-royalist group got hold of the recording and then screened it to their own group and then started you know, saying, we need to do something about this. And even, I mean, you can see in conservative media, media personality, you know, riling people up and um, encouraging people to take legal actions against these young artists. And they eventually did go to jail. One of them was able to escape. Now he's in France and he was uh, given a political refugee status. Two had to go, had to confess. They were sentenced to five years in prison. And because they confessed, it was uh, commuted to two years. So. This one, uh, nobody got into any legal trouble with this one. It was interesting because um, if we, some of you may know B Floor Theater. Um, they're, you know, the only physical theater company in Thailand. It's celebrating its 20th anniversary this year, and um, they're very political. And for this, actually, for this performance, Bang Le by one of the artists, Ananong Thai Si Wong, she um, she actually talks about the less majestic law, and I think for me, is one of the most um, outspoken one. First time it was performed in 2012, she said right away, oh, uh, I wanted to do something, it's a solo performance, and uh, I wanted to do something with the royal anthem. But then I consulted a number of people, and they, she said, and they said, no, it's not worth it. You know, and, and she said this out loud. <laughs> Usually when people talk about, and artists, and especially theater artists, because they talk a lot more than about this law, about the Les Majestes law than other types of artists, because a theater is very small and people don't care about it so much, so they can get away with it a lot more. So she was most open about um, this Les Majestes law. Um, nothing happened when she staged it in 2012. In 2015, on the first day of the production, uh, the producer got a call saying, have you gotten permission to stage this show? And of course, there's no such law. Uh, we don't have to ask anyone's permission. Um, so 2015, that was already the second year of the military government. So what they wanted to do instead was they wanted to, um, er, you know, military two military officers every day come in and film the show so for the entire run. And in the end, nothing happened. Nobody was charged. They suspect that 
there might have been some audience members who have come and see the show, uh, you know, before theater shows a few times and wanted to report it to the police. Um, because the, the military came in with a poster saying, is this your show? What is it about? We heard that it might be dealing with some controversial topic. So in 2017, um, just to change the topic a little bit, in 2017, that was a big year for magazines. Um, eight folded. I mean, after that, there's eight magazines folded. A quite popular lifestyle arts and culture magazine. There was a pretty big one. Some, most of them are you know, have been around for a really long time. Some of them folded the, just the print part, and some of them became just, um, you know, published once a year or something like that, and some of them just went online completely. Since 2017, a few, you know, one or two have closed. Um, but also, um, most recently, we have two English-language newspapers in Thailand, The Nation, where Bawil is writing for, will stop its print run in June. Is it June? June 28th and uh, it will go online only. But there's been a uh, rise in websites and podcasts on lifestyle, politics, and arts and culture, covering all those things in one website. But they're all in Thai. And Anne and I were thinking of starting a bilingual podcast website as well. So I'll, I'll go into um, different art forms and how they're covered in Thailand. So television, that's still an extremely popular form. I mean, apart from news, they, we, the most popular has long been Thai soap operas. Most of them are adapted from um, Thai romance novels and are usually written by conservative, rather conservative writers. But they're extremely popular. The, pop, the most popular ones usually come back every 10 years with new cast, with the young new ones, big fan base. Um, sitcoms has been popular in the past um, decade or so as well, with a laugh track, like an American style kind of thing. And that has emerged as well. Korean dramas has been extremely popular. We have the ones that are dubbed, and then also the ones that are um, that they bought the rights to, and then they've adapted into Thai. And uh, the Korean dramas um, we consider to be a lot less melodramatic than the Thai ones. It's not as clear-cut good and evil, <laughs> uh, that kind of thing. We have a lot. Of this, there's a long tradition: talk shows, variety shows, game shows, and all that that are. Um, that always have you know a host and a few sidekicks who are comedians and most a lot of those comedians in Thailand we don't have a lot of stand-ups and things like that but we have a lot of comedians that are mostly from the northeast of Thailand which is which are culturally very different in in our mind in, in for Bangkokians um, these are comedians who, you know people from the northeast are the images of the working class of course a lot of these comedians have made a lot of money have become such a more and more influential part in uh, in Thai TV culture, but they're still viewed very differently from, let's say, um, um, and they have a very different look um, from um, the leading ladies and the leading men in Thai soap operas. Reality TV shows has become very popular as well, and we've adopted, you know, tra Thailand Drag Race. This is from RuPaul Drag Race. Um, the Face um, from London. We have the Thai version, which is a lot, like, really... Uh, a lot more melodramatic, it looks like a soap opera, the voice, that kind of stuff. So Thai TV is done really, really well, and I think there's a lot of really creative content. And there are also more programs that are try to cover art in a more serious way as well, with interviews and all that. Soap operas and these TV programs are such a part of everyday conversation from people from all, you know, all different classes, social classes and everything, that it's such a shame that they're mostly covered as celebrity ent entertainment news. 
Um, there are no, no serious reviews of TV programs. I mean, there were a few, um, I think, in the past, but it's really sporadic and very little attention paid to the artistic side of TV shows, whether soap operas, about the writing, the acting, um, the directing, the, the setting, and all of that. That's, there's just very, very few of that. I think sometimes we get um, critiques of TV shows when it becomes extremely controversial, and then you get a social critique of it or something like that. Films, they have it the easiest, treated in the media as both entertainment and art. Film critics and reporters in Thailand cover Thai and international scenes and major film festivals we get. In the Bangkok Post, we get you know very good reports from Cannes Film Festival and other famous international, like Venice Film Festival um, regularly, for example. The art form with it's the art form with more publications dedicated to it than other art forms. For example, uh, there's this one star picks used to be a monthly or something like that. It used to be more regular, but it's since become a more of like a annual kind of publication. I'll pass it around. It's in Thai though. And film reviews can be easily found in most newspapers, including English language ones, and as well as most Thai language ones. Visual arts, uh, Thai visual artists having are increasingly successful on the global scene in the past decade. Early or mid-2000s, it was the first time that Thai artists were at the Venice Biennale. And there's a rise of curators, people. I mean, we have a Thai word for curators, uh, but usually we do use um, the, the English word, even in, in Thai conversations. And there's people who are like, what are curators? Who are they? What do they do exactly? So there's been a, a more curiosity on what curators do. Um, and, and you know, it's been used as, oh, I want to curate this. I want to curate an art festival. It's, it's become kind of trendy as well. <laughs> you know, last year we have the Bangkok Art Biennale for the first time and Bang uh, Thailand Biennale as well. There's a lively coverage of visual arts across all media platforms in Thai and English, but um, there's still several publications dedicated to visual arts, like this one. There's some reviews in this one. This is in Thai. Um, it's a quarterly. And this one, this is not, um, it's more of like an art listing. But I think critical writing and visual arts are sporadic. Some of them, you know, some of them want to write about it, but then they become curators, they start running galleries and all that, so that becomes difficult for them. And most of them are, a lot of them are actually um, foreigners. Um, performing arts is the least surveilled and the least censored, but so that's why I said it was surprising to see that those were the two that got in trouble. Um, least financially supported as well by government by it's not an industry it's just not um, like other forms of art it has and it's, it remains really small especially dance um, theater remains quite small but it's become increasingly active except for i mean music is an industry so you get reviews and all that little coverage for dance and theater across all media platforms especially in thai language media but when it comes to criticism i think we're the most active um, especially in english and uh, we have um, with and I, and um, I think we have a lot on Facebook, but it lacks specialization. I wish there were more um, critics who specialize in dance, but they won't have a lot to do because there's not a lot of dance. Um, but then there are, you know, more critics specializing in different types of music, or more critics specializing in just musical or just opera, something like that. Um, first type of review column to get cut when publications face financial problems. So even though we have you know, a rise in websites and all that. Um, we have an, a colleague who went, you know, within th one year, he went through three publications. And with theater reviews, you kind of have to go, hi, I want to do theater review. Do you have space for me? Um, do you have money for me, <laughs> rather? Um, the one I was talking about, he went to one, he was like, people go to theaters, <laughs> you know? 
people see them. Um, so Thailand ranks row on press freedom. Um, political journalists have the most problem. We are pretty free, especially if we write in English. We have a lot less problems. We can hide a lot more, or rather we can not hide. We don't need to hide, but we, we get away with a lot more. Arts journalists and critics enjoy greater freedom. Um, Self-censorship among artists and journalists has become the norm. I think it's kind of now conditioned or programmed that sometimes I'm not sure we notice anymore. I mean, even some things that are not even controversial, sometimes I would interview artists and they would ask me, oh, don't say this is what it's about. I don't want, I don't want to sound controversial on topics that are not that controversial. Um, I think there's a lack of demand for an intellectually rigorous culture of arts criticism. I think it goes back to what Christine said, uh, the quote that you brought up earlier about um, there's not a lot of reaction to art criticism either, and that's part of it. And another part is that it's so driven by fan culture. You know, it's like, if I get a lot of fans, that's okay. Um, if a lot of my fans post a really nice review of, of my show on Facebook, I'll just post that and that would be enough. Of course, if I get a nice review and back up post, I'll post that too. <laughs> so that's a plus, but um, I don't think there's a, an actual demand for it. And the lack of, I think this is a big one for me, um, lack of diversity of viewpoints within each publication, but that's not possible if we do not have the money to support a team of, I've always been a proponent of a team of theater writers, a team of, for each publication, at, especially in national newspapers, a team of film writers rather than one writer per, you know, one film critic, one theater critic. I think that's very important and, you know, there should be, you know, when I was much younger, um, I was I was like, oh, there should be someone to tell me, you know, you need to think this way and that way to, to kind of guide me a little. But there's really no, none of that. There's no chief film critic. There's no chief theater critic, for example. And because of that, editors also lack vision in arts journalism and uh, criticism as, as well. Um, especially now in, in newspapers, um, there's a freeze of headcount. If somebody leaves, that's it. They're not hiring anyone anymore. And it's not as if, if their chief, if they're, if I leave, it's not like they're going to go out and find another theater critic. If an art critic uh, leaves, they're, they're not going to go find another art critic. It'll just, we'll just use wire services and things like that. So, and I, I've never had um, an editor who's, who's, who's good enough to, to edit, to be a good editor, of, uh, to be a good arts editor in a newspaper. Um, that's very different from, let's say, the U.S., the U.K., or, or some other countries. Um, I think perception of arts coverage is also journalism light. Um, you know, that's where they always like, oh, you don't, you've never, you're new. Um, you go to the feature section first and write f uh, fluff pieces. And you, you, you kind of have to go, hey, I study theater. I'm going to write about theater. I'm going to have regular reviews. You kind of have to assert yourself a little bit when it comes to arts journalism. And I think that's very difficult for any any future because they don't see it as a career path. Um, I study, I mean, I teach writing, journalistic writing, but we teach art, um, theater criticism for a long time. And it's not like anybody wants to graduate and become writers, <laughs> you know? So that's it. Thank you. <laughs>